0: You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights
1: on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My guest today is award winning writer, photographer, and author of multiple books, Nick Jans. Nick will be here talking to us today about his recently released book, A Wolf Called Romeo. So, we're excited to talk to Nick about the book, his writing, and all the other wonderful things going on in his life. So, we're going to break for a commercial break, but everybody hang tight. We'll be right back with Nick Jans after these messages. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio.
0: Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact.
1: Welcome back! Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Your host Tim Link, and joining me now is award-winning author Nick Jans. Nick, welcome to the show.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me, Tim.
1: Oh, it's my our pleasure, and congratulations on the book, A Wolf Called Romeo.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> After seven years of living the story and three years of writing it, uh, it seemed to go on forever. Uh, it was uh, really a pretty daunting task, and I'm glad it wasn't my first book.
1: There you go. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit later about the the whole process in general, because I like for our listeners to know what you had to go through to, to write such a great book. But tell us about the book. Give us an overview of it.
0: Well, the short version is this: a hundred twenty pound, totally wild wolf shows up outside our door one day on the edge of uh, Juneau, Alaska, which is the state capital, population thirty thousand, and he stayed on and off for six years and. Played with dogs, displayed an incredible tolerance for both dogs and people, and even certainly got to the point, as far as I can tell, where he not only befriended many dogs, but a number of people as well, as individuals, and vice versa, where uh, the sort of social... Conversation that goes back and forth between uh, a canine and uh, and a human could easily be recognized, although it stops short of touching most of the time. Okay, this book is uh, the story of his life among us, and I hate to put in a spoiler here, but ultimately of his death. This is one of those books. It's uh, three pages in, if you're an attentive reader, you know that the Titanic sinks, and it's it's just one of those things. But that's one of the messages and one of the issues that I deal with, and I use the wolf, this particular wolf and his life as a lens for looking at human-wildlife relations, human-wolf relations in particular, you know, such things as, you know, can you be friends with a wild animal? Should you be friends? What are the ups? What are the downs? And all of the folklore, the, the natural history, the biology, the everything is all woven into this story, and it was a really quite a weave job to get it all to hold together.
1: The book is. It does take you from that uh, very intriguing, fascinating, amazing parts and the touching parts of the Romeo, the Wolf, and then obviously the the tear jerkers and all the sort of human rights aspects and animal rights aspects that goes into it. You've, you've got it all in that book.
0: Yeah, well, that was my intent always, and I write a lot about animal human relations and sentience things like that. Uh, I've been writing for Alaska Magazine since 1988, pretty much a a piece in every single issue since uh, 1990-something. And um, it's one of the things that really interests me. You know, the reason I came to Alaska in the first place was to be around big wild animals. And that ultimately led, after more than 30 years, to this unlikely relationship with this wolf Yeah,
1: and do you feel that Romeo may have sensed that you had that that connection with wildlife and actually was a proponent behind it, or do you feel it was more of he was a character that wanted to find that relationship himself?
0: You know, I think you can read way too much, in it, and we always do like to anthropomorphize. Mm -hmm. But that said, there's a lot more going on inside those furry heads than we'd like to imagine. I totally believe that wolves, along with uh, brown bears, are not a hell of a lot dumber than wild chimpanzees and gorillas, which makes them pretty smart. Right. And not only that, but in a, in a social way that we can sort of get, and they can get us. You know, wolves, of course, more than bears, but still, it's, uh, there's much more of a window open there than into an ungulate like a moose, say, where their expressions and their lives are not the same. It's no accident, after all, that we ended up with the uh, carefully shaped and genetically muted descendants of wolves lying at our feet and calling them our best friend. That came from somewhere, and this wolf was really, as far as I could tell, a living, breathing, missing link to that process.
1: Wow, another confirmation. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's fascinating. I love that. So when putting together the book, what, uh, was there an aha moment that you realized, hey, I've got to get this down in, in writing and share it with the world, or what possessed you or inspired you to write the book?
0: Well, you know, actually, it's more the other way, is what compelled me not to write it. Because, first of all, it was a very difficult story in which I had a very personal involvement. I don't shy away from that. But I didn't know how to make it a book. And at first, I did not think it was possible because it didn't have a standard story arc. I mean, it goes like this a wolf shows up. Oh, wow, there's a wolf. Oh, my God, there's a wolf. We're in trouble, and he's in trouble. And this continues. Over and over and over again in a circular motion for six years, so how do you make a story out of that? you know because we already had the aha I mean it was far from my first wolf i'd been around uh, well i don't know I'd, I'd say well over a hundred wolves including you know including way up in the Brooks range and totally on my own, having a pack of wolves hanging around my camp and uh, walking through it and picking up sticks and Acting like they wanted to play and things like that. And we're talking about way the heck out in the Brooks Range where wow. it's quite likely these wolves had not encountered other people, or at least many of them hadn't. To, you know, I had a long, long history with wildlife in general and wolves in particular, including, uh, you in know, a, a former life traveling long distances, uh, with meatback Eskimo wolf hunters and getting very, very good at finding wolves and regrettably at the other things too. It wasn't like I turned over a new leaf. I didn't like it. F- I didn't like parts of it from the word go, but it was incredibly exciting, and I was young. But I felt myself shifting away, and uh, it wasn't long after that. I don't know. Maybe maybe it took me about ten or fifteen years uh, before I decided I'm not going to go on any more wolf hunts. And I ended up being the um, actually the sponsor for a ballot measure to stop the state from using airplanes to shoot wolves over huge areas the sizes of the midwestern states to uh, theoretically make more caribou and moose, which I thought was a fool's errand. Absolutely. Uh, so it, this wolf was just part of, a, part of a long journey, and there really it was no, you know, I don't know, it's, you notice that in talking about the book, it's pretty hard to stay on point, because everything just goes around in a circle and around in a circle. You know, everything from, you know, what's the aha moment? Well, there really isn't one, to, you know, what possessed you to write this book? As everything pushed against it, but at the same time, I, I knew that it was an important story, and I knew that probably it was, the, it was the, the central story of my life in Alaska, you know, and I've been here 35 years. But it was just the difficulty and the emotionality of it that kept it from me and made it so difficult, and it was supposed to take a year. It took me three years to write. And that was after the seven years of, first of all, Romeo's life, and then the year in the aftermath of his death and trying to bring some sort of semblance of, of justice and closure to something that refused it.
1: Looking back at it now, after all, all this time, I mean, 10 years has passed. Is there any life lessons or is there a key life lesson you've learned from just this whole, whole event that you could share with people?
0: Well, I was more reminded of life lessons. I already knew the world wasn't fair and that deserve has nothing to do with anything. And I already knew that we're the most dangerous thing on this world. It just, it just reminded me of those. But I think the, the lesson that it, it offers to all of us and certainly drove home to me is that every wild creature without getting too greeny weeny and touchy feeling is a living entity and each one of them is just incredible incredible in their individual intelligence and complexity even if it's something as strange and relatively inaccessible as say oh a varied thrush or much more seeming so like the the grin a wolf gives you when he's trotting up to say hi you know which which mm-hmm. remind you exactly of, of the same facial expression and the same body language that a lab would have so it's just this tie you know and and that we're a kind of a Sad spot on this on this world. It seems like there's a lot of wild stuff and a lot of wild places. But in my lifetime, I've seen the numbers of wild tigers and wild lions and wild elephants and wild wolves in general plummet. And we're in the process of eradicating every large carnivore. And you say, "Oh well, that's silly. That'll never happen." Well, you know, no one thought the buffalo would get finished as fast as they did either. You know, I'm, I'm talking about in the broadest sense of right. the right for herds. And we're in a different time now where things travel much more quickly, and we have a hell of a lot more power than we used to have. Uh, Consider that wolves got eradicated from the lower 48 with just muzzle loaders and leg hole traps and cyanide. And think of the tools at our disposal now.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: If you tell me, oh, that'll never happen here, I'm not comforted, sorry. And looking at this story, it reminds us of how important the wild is to us and to our own just sense of sense of place and well-being on this silly little rock line, you
1: know. <laughs> exactly exactly that's very fast i want to hit on that a little bit more when we come back and the impact of the book on the community we're going to take a quick commercial break but we'll be right back to continue our conversation with nick jans you're listening to the animal rights show on pet life radio sit stay we'll be right back after a short pause well
0: four to be exact
1: Hi, this is T.O.D. Anderson, and I'm the host of Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. We're going to talk about a variety of topics on canine behavior and training, all based on modern methods that are fun for you and your dog. We might be talking about other critters too. So join us on Get Positive Results. We'll talk about common issues between you and your dog, answer your questions, discuss different activities you can do with your dog, and keep you posted on current canine news and products. All this on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk Pets On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLiferadio.com. <gasps> Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. We're here talking to author Nick Jans about his uh, latest book, A Wolf Called Romeo. Now, Nick, before the break, we were talking about the overall impact, you know, the human wildlife relations and how it's getting, uh, we're not getting smarter, we're getting more aggressive and having some negative impact on all animals in the world. Looking at this particular story and looking at Romeo and looking at your own community, what kind of impact did this have on the community? Have you seen any short term impact? from a positive standpoint, and has it sustained into a longer positive impact, or is it back to business as usual?
0: Well, let's put it this way. First of all, Juneau is probably only the only community in Alaska of any size where this could possibly have happened. It's much more centrist and, and green-minded in its politics than, uh, say, Anchorage and Fairbanks, both quite a bit larger towns to the north. And Juneau is one of those towns that if Sarah Palin, even at the height of her fame, she'd run for mayor, she probably would have lost. And I'm not saying that in the right way. I mean, I'm, I'm certain she would have lost. <laughs>
1: I've, I've always liked uh, Juno, just to let you know. Just <laughs> yeah.
0: well, well, you know, and then that doesn't mean that there wasn't uh, still, I would say, a, a 60-40, I would guess, split as to people who thought wolves as a good thing to people who didn't, but there's a sliding scale. It's not like everybody is hell yes and hell no. Uh, the great majority of people are really pretty much unengaged about an issue like that. you know. And it's the passion on either extreme that play tug-of-war for the souls of the rest. right? And nonetheless, I'd say this. In a town of 32,000, which highly values its coffee and beer, there's a coffee named after the wolf, and there was a beer named after him with a, a silhouette of, of him in triplicate on the uh, on the label. And there are two roads named after him. There's a bronze plait cast by a, a master sculptor out on the, the trail to Nugget Falls, uh, where thousands of people, as a matter of fact, hundreds of thousands of people see it yearly. And if you walk into homes all over Juneau, and I mean, really, all over. You're pretty damn likely to come across a picture of Romeo hanging on a wall somewhere.
1: <laughs> wow! You know,
0: it's, it's really pretty amazing. I mean, he was—he became our de facto mascot, and definitely left his his imprint. And right now, we're in the process of trying to raise the money to have an exhibit of his hide, which was confiscated from the killers, turned into a museum-quality exhibit out at uh, the visitor center at the glacier, which was the area where he frequented. I have mixed feelings about that, even though I'm I'm the one who's been pushing it forward, uh, because it's uh, you know sort of like seeing your dog yeah. or one of your buddies up on the wall there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, so but on the other hand, uh, as as my wife uh, Sherry put it, well, it's all we have left of him.
1: Right, and, right, and viewing it as as another honor for him. obviously, it's uh right. yeah, that and that would be tough. But it's amazing when you not only read the story and and see the impact. And that's why I wanted to ask you that question. You know, a lot of times, when we ha- when we see stories like this, not necessarily like exactly like Romeo's, but you know, uh, stories where uh, the animal comes in, they change the mark on people or, or, or community, and then after a short while, it's you know, people tend to forget. And I applaud uh, you and the folks of Juno for not allowing that to happen. You know, allowing it to be no, a I, I, major I really impact. I don't
0: think it. I don't think it has at all. And uh, and not only that, but this this book, which has just been out a couple of months now. Not a week goes by where I don't get a couple of of impassioned emails. And and from as far away as Brazil, people I absolutely don't know, who are the most common sentiment actually is to thank me for writing the book. And this is my 11th book. And I certainly have gotten lots of reader email, and they're always engaged. And I want the reader to be engaged. and And I write with my heart on my sleeve. But this is different. People seem to value this story and for the message it carries and I'm very heartened by that and humbled as well because uh, that just doesn't happen all the time and you know really without belaboring of course writing is what I do for a living but this was one of those things that's sort of like sort of like climbing Everest on your elbows it's like why the hell would you do that you know <laughs> and, and the last three years I, I put my life on a complete hold I didn't go out and do things. I went to the dermatologist because I was worried about this this weird kind of oozing thing on my backside, on my tailbone. And he appeared at me when I pulled down my pants and said, you got a callus. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a true story, absolutely. It was from sitting down and writing the book. And six months later, that callus was gone.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. So sometimes you had to put up with a little bit of a pain in the rear to get your message across is, I think, a good message.
0: (laughs) That's one way of putting it.
1: There you go. Well, let's talk to you a little bit about your writing and writing styles. Obviously, you know, as you said, this book you've written eleven books, and you write regularly for uh, Alaska Magazine and uh, other publications. Talk to us a little bit about the the nuances and the differences between writing a book like this and writing a publication where you have to have deadlines and things of this sort that you have to have to get. Well,
0: actually, I wrote this the same way. I craft words. I believe that the words are every bit as important as the story you're telling. Many writers just use words as a convenience, a way of telling the story. And the words aren't that important. To me, the words are the story. And they convey emotion. They can convey visual and other sensory impacts and so i write in a very simple style basically i want my writing to sound like you're listening in on a story being told at a bar you know it's a conversational tone of voice it's visual and although you can't see my gestures or you know my facial expressions I want the reader to see where I point, but see for themselves. I don't want to tell them what to see. I want to show them. And I want them to feel things and experience it along as if I were merely sort of a guide. But they experience the story for themselves uh, as immediately as possible. And writing like that, uh, writing in a conversational style, is disarmingly difficult. And if you look at pretty much all of... The people who informed my writing, they wrote in the same way, and that includes Shakespeare, and everyone says at that point, say what? Shakespeare? <laughs> and if you think about Shakespeare, all of Shakespeare's great lines, his memorable passages, every single one of them are in one and two syllable words in third grade vocabulary. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life surrounded with a sleep, or out out brief candle, life's but a walking shadow, or Good night, good night, parting is such sweet sorrow. You know, that's Shakespeare. Right. And and, and it's the power of simple words put together in a musical fashion. And I believe strongly in the music of words. My writing is meant to be read aloud. Although uh, that that means that if it passes the read aloud test, it'll work just fine reading to yourself.
1: There you go. That's good stuff. Good stuff, Nick. I I like that a lot. Uh, I like how you uh, framed that, and uh, it is more than just words, a story on a page. It's words that will capture you and captivate you, as well as telling the story. So, good on you. That's very good. Nick, tell us a little bit about where people can pick up a copy of the book, or find out more about your activities and what's going on in your world.
0: Well, I have a a brand new retooled website, which I sadly to say the last couple of months has been uh, uh, quite neglected. My blog there has been neglected because I've been so busy uh, out in book tour. But it's nickjans dot com. Simple enough. N i c k j a n s dot com. If you you Google Romeo up, a bunch of stuff will come, including a YouTube video clip. went more than one, but there's one official one for the book. The book just went national at Costcos, where it's available for a ridiculously low price, but it's also available at your favorite uh, local bookseller, and I strongly urge you to support your local bookseller. Of course, it's available online at the uh, usual places like amazon and um it's gone into its uh, third printing wow. less than 12 weeks out of the gate. Not huge printings, but but nonetheless, you, you know, uh, the, the first 20,000 books uh, were gone and out the door in two weeks.
1: Absolutely. And, uh,
0: you can only take that as uh, as pretty good news, and for me, unusual, because uh, I would say that outside of Alaska, I'm not very well known, I kind of write under a, a bushel basket, partly because I lived in uh Eskimo villages up the, up in the Upper Kobuk Valley for half my life, and uh, I don't go around parading with a big sign. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I believe that believe that I should I should write as well as I can and work at it as hard as I can, and eventually perhaps. It's a build it may will come situation and, and certainly it seems like this time around this book's getting some attention and I, you know, it's such a, such an honor to be in a position to tell this story on behalf of the city of Juno. It's not my story. There were, there were many other people who were involved in this. It wasn't just me. I was certainly not a gateway to this animal. He belonged to none of us.
1: It's just a matter of, yeah, you got it down on print so more people that, that couldn't experience it in real life actually can experience it through your work. So uh, good good job on that. And everybody, go pick up a copy of the book, A Wolf Called Romeo by Nick Jans. Follow Nick on his website, nickjans.com. Good stuff, Nick. We appreciate it very much. We look forward to seeing the next book, not to put any pressure on you. And keep in touch with us. We'll, uh, we look forward to it. Congratulations on everything, though.
0: Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Tim.
1: Well, we're uh, coming to the end of the show today, um, so I'd like to thank everyone for listening to The Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. i also like to thank Nick Jans once again for uh, being on the show today. Pick up a copy of A Wolf Called Romeo. You're going to love the book. Thanks to the sponsors and producers for putting on a great show and allowing me to have access to all the wonderful authors, writers, and bloggers out there. Uh, to find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've interviewed on The Animal Rights Show, visit Pet Life Radio. that's PetLifeRadio.com and while you're there uh, click on the animal rights icon uh, download the episodes you want to hear uh, you can also check out all the other wonderful hosts and shows on Pet Life Radio if you have any uh, questions for me comments or ideas for the show please email me you can email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com I'll be glad to answer your questions entertain your comments and bring on people you want to hear onto the show so, until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life, share it in a blog, an article, or in a book. And who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great
0: day. Let's talk pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.